Welcome to Film Shots. I'm your uh, host, Joel Marshall, and this is my co-host, Dr. Jesse Rhines. What's up? I can never quite get that right. I'm supposed to say your name, and you're supposed to say mine. Yeah, yeah, we usually trade off, but you know, who knows? I've never gotten it right. Uh, we are here today at my house again with uh, Scott Lobdell. Yay! A lot of you know Scott, I'm sure, from his uh, comic book days. Scott is a, is a writer, a screenwriter, here in Hollywood. Um, and he has also um, written a lot of comic books. Hundreds. He's a very prolific comic book writer. Um, I'm sure you're aware of that. Scott, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's very pleasurable to... Uh, to be sitting here in front of a video camera. Excellent. Excellent. How do you spell Lobdell? Uh, just the way it sounds. L O B. Yep. D. Yep. E. Yep. L. Yep. L. Yes. Great. Oh, Unbelievable. I learned. I learned. That was good. What you can't see here is he was actually making the letters, like the YMCA song. He was actually forming the letters <laughs> with his body. It was pretty that's, impressive. That's right. I, I've learned how to do that. I do mm -hmm. gymnastics regularly. Yeah, maybe we can end on a, on a, a version of YMCA together. That'd you know, I, I kind of like that. No, 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 no. Then we'd mm -hmm. have to pay royalty. Oh, okay. You're right. It's out. So oh. we're keeping that out. Okay. Um, Scott, we're, we're really uh, fortunate to have you here today, and we want to talk to you about how you got into screenwriting and um, what made you um, become such a, uh, an amazing idea person. Now, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm amazed with about you is that you can come up with ideas on a dime. Um, well, it's kind of funny. I guess uh, a lot of the background I have comes, it, my, what film and TV background I have right now comes probably directly from my comic book background in the sense that I used to write the X-Men between like 1992 and 97 or something around there. Mm -hmm. And in that time, you know, it's a monthly gig. And so I would be writing like five books a month. So it's five books a month times 12 times a year times, you know, 10 years. I mean, that's a lot of, you know, it's, uh, it's almost like anything else. If you exercise a muscle enough, you're going to, you know, you can build it up. And so mm -hmm. I think there's just something in my brain, whether it's what brought me into comic books or what, or whether it was uh, developed while I was doing comic books, but I do have a tendency to, uh, you know, to see a story off of like, you know, to, uh, you know, give me like, uh, I play this game sometimes with my friends as a joke where it's you, uh, you know, you each say a movie title. And then the trick is to come up with a movie based on the movie title. So, like, for example, uh, you know, a friend of mine would say, uh, somebody said, uh, looking for Mr. Goodbar, and somebody said Godfather. And right away, my first instinct, I don't know if you have any ideas in your head, but my first instinct was, okay, here's a girl who is always dating the worst guy for her. She's like a perpetual, um, you know, Goomba fanatic who's like always, she's like Adriana from... Soprano. She's always dating that guy in the mafia who's bad for her, and she finally meets a guy, and she's very happy. And we see her kiss him goodbye, and he walks down the street, and he gets into the FBI van, and he's, you know, it turns out he's undercover. So it's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like Mr. Goodbar meets Goodfellas. It's like she finds the worst person that she could, or you know, Godfather. Godfather. She finds right. the worst. So, mm -hmm. so I think the thing is, it's kind of fun to like, you know, just as an exercise, is to take movie ideas, you know, just just straight concepts, you know, Brady Bunch and mm -hmm. The Enforcer. I don't know, some, you know, the Clint Eastwood mm -hmm. movie. So, so the idea is, is that that's kind of, uh, I, I think once you 
exercise that part of your brain. And in me, as far as the storytelling thing, it was each month I had to come up with another story. And when you think about like a TV show, a TV show will have 13 episodes or, you know, 22 episodes, but it has a team of eight writers. So eight writers working on 13 episodes, that's two episodes each, you know, over the course of a year or whatever it is. Whereas when you're a comic book writer, you pretty much have your, you know, your brain and whatever your editor allows you to do or not do that month. So it's a constant, uh, there's a constant need for me to always be generating the next idea. So I think in that way, it's probably, uh, you know, after doing that for, well, I've been writing comic books now for 18 years. Wow. Well, that, tell so. me wow. what, um, um, you've been writing comic books and on a comic book, there's one writer. You're not the artist as well that does the drawing. Correct. Or are you? Correct. Mm -hmm. I'm not the artist. Yeah. There are like, um, like for example, the X-Men has, you know, maybe 12 different books in the X-Men line. They have X-Men, Uncanny X-Men, X-Factor, X-Force, uh, on and on. And so there are other people writing other books within the X-Men family. Mm -hmm. But as far as a person writing a book, it's, you know. And when you say a book, that's a series over a period of, of time. Yes, over, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, in that case, I, I wrote, like I say, for seven straight years. And probably the mm -hmm. second longest running X-Men writer and the guy before me had been on the book for 17 years. So, wow. And the rate things are going now, because they're just constantly bringing in new people, I'll probably have that... Uh, Mm -hmm. that title for many many years to come so how do you apply for that job uh well it took me uh about six years of uh rejection letters and uh i remember that uh my i i got a reject i you know send out stories and get rejected send out stories and get rejected and one time i got a rejection letter and on the uh ps the editor had written um this isn't as bad as the last one Oh, so you knew at least. Yeah, were, and I went around to everybody writing. I know. I said, oh, my God, look what I can look at this. Look at this. And everybody said, well, Scott, it's a rejection letter. I go, but look, he took the time to write something on it. And so, you know, that just, uh, and so I kept that up. And then when I, uh, uh, there was a new book opened up called Marvel Comics Presents, which had eight-page stories in it. And none of the editors wanted their characters used because you can't write anything very interesting on an established character like a Wolverine or a Daredevil in eight pages because <coughs> you can't change that character from the beginning to the end of the eight pages. So then right. you essentially don't have a story, you have an incident. And so editors didn't like that. So it occurred to me that there's a series of characters in the Marvel Universe who were never used, like you know Arabian Knight and Shamrock from Ireland and... Lockjaw, who's this like six foot tall pug, you know, with a fork in his head to pick up ions and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it occurred to me that no one, no editor had approval of those characters. So I went to the editor who's doing this book and I said, listen, why don't you let me do all these characters that nobody else wants to do? And then you don't have to approve them. You don't have to approve any of the stories with anybody. And it was like, okay, this is great. So I started to do these stories. And when I would get the Lockjaw story about the, you know, the mute, uh, six foot pug mm -hmm. I would go to all the editors in uh, Marvel and I'd say huh I just got the uh, lockjaw strike and they'd be like who wants to know who wants to see a lockjaw no, no one has any interest in lockjaw but because no one was in charge of it I was able to do whatever I wanted to do with these characters so invariably you know a month later after it came out some editor would stop me in hall and go you know what I gotta say that was the best lockjaw story I'd ever read or ever read 
and it would make me laugh because I was thinking, well, there's never been a lockjaw story. I mean, <laughs> but in their head, people start to go, okay, well, right. this is really, you know, uh-huh. these eight-page stories can be really powerful. And so, so eventually, I uh, had to, uh, the guy who had been doing the X-Men for 17 years quit. Uh, the editors went through every name in the Rolodex trying to find somebody to take his place. You, in the meantime, you had just been sending these things off yeah, to I've them. Yeah, sending them I mean, off, yeah. just, not getting paid or anything Not like getting that. paid. In fact, I'll just tell you this, uh, just just so who's ever listening to this can know that uh, what you have to go through sometimes. I was just telling you um, before we started that I live in, I used to live in Marlboro, New York, which is two hours outside of the city. I didn't have a car, so I'd have to get a ride from Marlboro into Poughkeepsie to take the train into New York. Once I got to New York, I didn't have enough money to take a cab so, or take even the subway, so I would walk to the Marvel offices and I would hand, you know, I'd, I'd wow. hand it in. Sometimes I had, sometimes I'd get to talk to an assistant editor because yeah. they'd come out, mm-hmm. or sometimes they'd be at lunch and they go, "Oh, just leave it there." And every once in a great while, an editor would go, "Oh," and he would come out and blah. Yeah. And then I'd get, I'd walk back up, get on the train, and go back. So it would take me like two and wow. well. Five hours, two that and a half hours each touch, way. That can be valuable. Yeah, well, just and to put your face to a name, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And what format were these in? I mean, did you just write so many pages of a story? Did you know how long they should be? I had, uh, I had, you know, picked up, you know, at conventions and stuff, picked up uh, weight. Like, now it's easier because now you just sign on the internet and somebody has, you know, a comic book writer has plots posted. I should probably do it for new people anyway, but... Um, oh really? So you can go on the internet and select a plot and just write something toward that and, and to send in? Uh, well, it's not so much that you'd write something towards it. You would look at the uh, plot for format, like like with mm-hmm. the script. As everybody knows, final draft is really easy, and everybody, you know, knows a script is essentially you know a final draft carrier font, and it's you know uh, a space between the slug line and the action. What's mm-hmm. a slug line? A slug line is uh, exterior. Joel's house day. Okay. So right. Um, they call them scene headings too, but mm-hmm. in the old days we used to call them slug lines. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, uh, but with a comic book, uh, pretty much, you know, when you're doing, you can do it one of two ways. You can do a, a plot, or you can do a full script. And for years, I always did a plot. And what that means in this case would be, you know, <clears throat> page one, full page splash of the three of us sitting around uh, Joel's table. Uh, page two close-up of Scott as he's explaining how a plot is done. Mm-hmm. Um, panel two, Joel looks like he's about to doze off. You know, uh, panel three, a meteorite yeah, comes him. into the, you know. <laughs> And so once an artist will draw that, then he, then he sends it back to you, and then you write things like, you know, I'd write me blabbing, and then I'd write a, you know, mm-hmm. saw-cutting sound effect coming from Joel because he's dozing mm-hmm. during this compelling explanation. Um, and so that's what you do, you, you know, um, and, but then there's the other one, the other way, which is done mostly nowadays, which I don't think is as good as, uh, writing full script, which means that I would, uh, just write it pretty much the same way you write a TV script, except you just break it down into pages instead of acts and you, you know, explain what's going on in each. And in a way that allows the artist, it's a, it's a, there's a difference because with a plot, the writer becomes the final cut. Because an artist will draw something, and uh, whatever the artist draws, it then falls on the writer to write the final say on what's going on. Um, like for example, in, in a plot, if you were to, uh, if I gave that plot to an artist, 
and that artist misunderstood that, you know, you were bored, so you were actually, uh, like, I, in my head I'm thinking, okay, Joel's bored, he looks like he's about to fall asleep. Instead, they might draw him, you know, uh, you know, over in the corner putting, uh, you know, golf, mm -hmm. you know, chips waiting for me to get done talking. So if I don't know that and I just put it in the, if I just send off a script and they draw it, then I don't, then the artist has the final say. Mm -hmm. But with a the plot, they would send it back to me, and then I might look at that and go, you know what, that's so fascinating that I might have, you know, Joel shout four in the background mm -hmm. as he's chipping off. Mm -hmm. But but at least that gives me the option of being, you know, essentially the final, right. final edit mm -hmm. on it. So, mm -hmm. Whereas if I just write the script and I send it off, then, you know, he can draw whatever he wants, and sometimes it's, you know, interesting and sometimes it's not. Mm -hmm. A lot of times like, I'll see a comic book page where... <clears throat> You know, it'll open up and it'll look like somebody's falling through the sky because they've been pushed out a window. Mm -hmm. And the words might be like, no, like 12 O's after and 10 exclamation points. But the artwork will make it look like the guy is, you know, sound asleep. Like he's just, you know, uh -huh. and so he's not screaming at all or he looks calmer. And to me, whenever I look at that, I look at it and say, that's a story that was done full script and no one bothered to adjust. Oh, you can tell. Adjust. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I can tell. Yeah, yeah. Okay. How is writing screenplays different from writing for comic books? Um, well, part of it is, is you get the final edit, which is cool. I mean, and, and you know, in the old days, it would take six months to do a comic book from soup to nuts. Now you can do the whole thing in two and a half weeks between you know, FedEx and you know, email. I mean, mm -hmm. it used to take you know, months to do a comic book. But, you know... Um, with a, uh, you know, like, the I wrote a script for a movie called uh, Cheer Up, which eventually became Man of the House. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it was on the fast track, and it was sold uh, three weeks before September 11th, and then uh, I think it came out three and a half years later, and that was on the fast track. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, in that time, I was almost immediately fired even before the first uh, set of revisions uh, and in the meantime they had put on 12 other writers between the time we had sold the script till the time it was made um, so, so you were you, still attached while the movie was in production is, is that it they didn't uh, no, just pretty buy it. Much, no pretty much by that point I was uh, you know I'd read about it in the papers yeah. this is a know. very okay. very common thing for writers in yeah. Hollywood yeah. Um, they will. You will sell a script, and then someone else will write it. Another person will write it, rewrite it. Sometimes they go back to the original mm -hmm. script. Yeah, they'll go back. Yeah. All kinds of things. Happen well, the, the thing is, a script is a property. It's just like a house. Mm -hmm. You know, basically, if you sell your house, the people who had it before, you don't expect to come back in and tell you how to do the decorating. Yeah. So what? Although, happened? although the difference about that though is, oh. is it's not likely that somebody like if I sold sell Joel my house, and I put you know. Scott LaBelle on the side of the house and painting paint it in big white letters. It's not like, you know, five years later, Joel would be able to tell, I mean, like, Joel would, I wouldn't be able to go by and go, hey, look at my house. Right. Yeah. Not, you know, <laughs> right. But there's my yeah. name on it. Okay. I mean, so big sign in the front. It's mm -hmm. Scott Lobdell's house, and then it's right. just totally trash. Yeah, and so, and like, and when you see a movie, then that's the problem. It's like you see a movie, right. and, you know, there are things that, uh, I mean, I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed, you know, I loved the characters. I thought it was very fun. There was a lot of elements that were in it, but, you know, there's a scene where, uh, in fact, this is kind of a funny story. I got a, uh, uh, I was got an instant message from a friend of mine going, I just 
was at a screening for your movie, a test screening, and it turned out I was part of the audience. And I have to say, it was really fun. It was really sweet. It was really, I really, really liked it a lot. And I'm like typing back, well, thanks. That's exciting, blah, blah. And then she uh, writes back and says, did you do the scene where uh, Cedric puts his hand up the cow's butt? Oh, right. And I'm like, okay. So it's the type of thing. But by having said that, you know, my name is on it, and invariably, you know, people are going to. That's Scott. He uh-huh. loves yeah. the. Those Scott loves when people stick. Jokes. You know? <laughs> so, you know, you can't, uh, unless you're going to sit there in the audience and say, well, I didn't do that part, but I did do this, you know, you're kind of stuck yeah. with that. How, how um, did you have any influence on having. Um, What's the guy's name? The Joker. The guy who played the Joker. Oh, you're actually Tommy thinking... Lee Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, having Tommy... Uh, was, that yeah, was uh, Two-Face. He played Two-Face. He played Two-Face. Yes. Right. Okay. okay. Um, see, I know that my comic book is... I see. Hey, I have, I have um, something to ask you about in that. Have you ever seen these? Uh, yes, Milestone Comics, yeah. Yeah. They yeah. used to be with um, through DC Comics. Yeah. But they went bust. Any idea what happened? Oh, just, you know, literally uh, just finances. I mean, just they just weren't selling enough to, uh, you know. That's it. Keep going out. Yeah. Okay. And uh, what what do you have there? Oh. Oh, this is uh, Milestone Comics. Some friends of mine um, had this company. And these are trading uh, cards. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trading okay. cards for the comic book series. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. probably in the mid-80s uh, and what was a bunch of... Um, African American, I guess is the best yeah. term. Yeah, African American. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, artists and writers got together and tried to, or not tried, successfully created a line of comic books that were geared uh, around minority superheroes and supervillains and you know right. inner city uh, adventures and and it ran for a number of years, but then it just didn't uh, catch on. So. Right, My, it, it was owned by um, DC Comics for a while yep. and it went bust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, certainly a good, uh, good experiment. I know that, uh, you know, I, uh, I mean, I'm personally, like, if you look at uh, the comic book characters that I've created over the years, like the X-Men, I mean, you know, or Generation X was a book that I spun off of X-Men. It had, like, you know, out of the seven characters, I think five of them were minorities. Or, oh, really? And so I was, always, I was always throwing in, you know, characters that were not another you know, white male superhero. So, okay. Yeah. So that Did was that, that seem to be important to you? Oh, it was because, you know, like I think that, you know, I mean, you know, you certainly you go to the comic book conventions and there was all types of people at the comic book conventions, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel that they were reflected in the, uh, in, in the, the books panels. themselves. Right. Yeah. yeah. I remember when, uh, greatest, uh, when Avengers came out, I was, uh, when they relaunched the Avengers, I was in fant- I was doing fantastic four. And they relaunched the Avengers, and was they were calling it Earth's Mightiest Heroes, was like the tagline. Mm-hmm. And I went to them, I go, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, you couldn't find one black person to be, you know, Earth's Mightiest Heroes? Mm-hmm. They said, well, you know, there's going to be one in issue nine. I go, but, you know, you have like eight characters. You <laughs> can't find, nine. there's not one, you know, person of color that you can throw into, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so, so I think it was always, uh, you know, that was always uh, important and... Uh, and now I see team books now, they come out and they're like, they just don't understand that, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I quite agree. I think that that is what's happening. I think that in a sense, some of the racial cachet has gone away, but it is still maintained in X-Men with mm-hmm. Storm and um, in DC Comics now, Green Lantern mm-hmm. is um, is African-American. Yeah, he's one of the characters, <clears throat> yeah, so. Do you find that films and television have become more 
I guess films in particular have become more episodic in nature when you write them because there are so many sequels. Um, one of the things I would think writing comic books, you have to project into the f far future what's going to happen with different storylines. Mm -hmm. um, do you find that when you write films, you think well, about what the sequel might be? or I kind of do. I mean, like, I, I already know the sequel to, like, you know, I, I finished this movie. I just typed uh, Fade to Black two days ago, and I'm already, like, mm -hmm. chomping to write the sequel. But the thing, what I find fascinating is when I go into, like, I've been to meetings, and I've been very fortunate but a little frustrated in the sense of like you know i um some people make very good livings out here uh rewriting other people's work or you know mm -hmm. a script like like those 12 guys that came on after me after man the house um i've never been in a situation where i've been asked to rewrite something nor have i ever uh i mean i think we've gone up for two writing assignments ever i'm just not something people think of too and i think it's because i write so much of my own stuff that I'm creating that people don't say, okay, well, let's, you know, see what Scott mm -hmm. says. But what is funny is, is I'll go into a meeting and they'll be like, uh, you know, Big Mama's House 2 made, you know, $800 million and we're trying, you know, we've been trying to do a sequel and we can't crack the story. Mm -hmm. I think you can't crack the story. You know, like, <laughs> like I, I, I haven't met a, you know, you know, maybe Thelma and Louise would be a story that would be a little hard to do a sequel to unless, you know, mm -hmm. it wakes up and they're back. both in traction, yeah. and, you know. And <laughs> but but invariably, like, you know, you look at these movies and I think, you know, how can you not make a, you know. I mean, my I'll give you an example. You know, two days after the Big Mama's House meeting, I sent them a treatment for Big Mama's House 2 where the... Uh, Somebody witnesses a murder, goes into hiding. The FBI thinks only, you know, that the guy is going to contact the one person in his life he still cares about, which is his grandmother, who lives in a nursing home. And so the Martin Lawrence character is like, well, the only way that I can be right next to her is to become her roommate. So now suddenly mm. he's big mom in a nursing home and he mm. falls in love with the nurse. And there's, you know, the scene in the sauna where they're taking him in to give him a sponge bath and his, you know, fat suit dissolves and da, 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 <laughs> and all the stuff. And so it's like, you know, I look at these things and I think like, you know, maybe because my head automatically goes to what the next story is. But it just cracks me up when, you know, I'm always hearing about, you know, this one. You know, they're trying to develop this story and develop that story. You think how hard, you know, how hard mm -hmm. it be? Just, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, like if you have talent, you know, like you have skills, and this is something you've been working on for a long time, mm -hmm. diligently. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you gave that history of how you got into the, the comic books because people need to know that it really is work. Mm -hmm. You know. Oh yeah. Well, and that's the thing is, is that like you know, it's uh, invariably though what happened was I. You know, uh, I, I was saying that at one point, the guy who left the series before me had been on for 17 years. And so when he left, they called everybody in in comic books and said, do you want to write the X-Men? And every person said, I'm not going to be the guy that kills the X-Men after 17 wow. years. Mm -hmm. So everybody said no. And then, you know, probably the last name in the Rolodex was me. And they came to me and said, you know, would you write it? And the theory that I found out later in the upper echelons of the offices were, well, you know, we'll give it to Scott. He'll, you know, kill it after a few months. And then we can go to anybody and say, hey, do you want to be the guy to bring the <laughs> expert? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the revival. Yeah. So then the, suddenly everybody's <coughs> lining up to do the revival. Oh, wow. But as it is, I, you know, frustrated them by uh, surviving, uh, you know, and thriving for seven years. So it's, you know. But by having said that, when I suddenly appeared, oh. up until then, I'd been trying to break in for six years and writing for four on really obscure titles mm -hmm. but suddenly i was an overnight sensation and everybody's mm -hmm. like well why'd they give it to scott what's he ever done and everybody <laughs> thinking, well you know 
Do you think that the comic book audience is more critical than, say, the movie audience of writers? I don't know if they're so much more critical, but they're more uh, you, they're more vocal, you know. And uh, you know, like you and I go see a movie, and you think it's a bad movie, and you go, oh, you know, you're walking out of the theater. What do you think? Oh my God, that stunk. You know, that's pretty much as far as you'll carry it. You know, maybe, you know, the next day you'll be at a party and somebody goes, did you see that movie? And you're like, yeah, it was really not very good. Mm -hmm. But comic book fans, you know, yeah. are on the internet Absolutely. and they're just, Absolutely. you know, Absolutely. savage, vicious. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I was going to say, um, you know, like in, in terms of, of Milestone, Reggie Hudlin, who is now president of BET, mm -hmm. was a real, he really introduced me to, to comic books in, mm -hmm. in, a, in a big way. These epic things, they're mm -hmm. comic novels or something Yeah, graphic like that. novels. Graphic yeah. novels, yeah. 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 Which ones of those do you like? And are, are those made into films now? Uh, well, Road to Perdition was a graphic novel. Really? Yeah. As Sin an City was a graphic novel. Right. Sin City was a series. Um, v for Vendetta was oh, just man. recently a yeah. graphic novel. So... Um, also, what was that one? Ghost World with uh, mm -hmm. Terry's wife. That's the thing is a lot of times, and this is just something for, you know, independent filmmakers to think about, is that a lot of times when people think of comic books, especially lately, they think of the X-Men and they think of Spider-Man and the Superman movies and, you know, and they think of these huge mega, you know, hundred multi-hundred million dollar movies. But there are a lot of, uh, oh, History of Violence is another mm -hmm. example of a oh, graphic okay. novel. Um, which ends way differently than it did in the movie. Like the last, uh, it's pretty consistent up until the last thirty pages of the graphic novel, and then it just spirals off. Um, but they were both very good for what they were. Um, I'm sorry. Let me just say that they were both very good in their own, you know, mediums. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that you know people can look towards, you know, comic books and graphic novels for uh, movie ideas or springboards without having to think like, you know, oh, I could never make that movie because it would cost, you know, $300 million to figure mm -hmm. out how to get Storm to fly and Wolverine to pop his claws. Mm -hmm. Whereas there are a lot of, you know, source material in comic books that is very, you know, small and grounded. Like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what was that movie with Paul Giamatti, the uh, American Splendor? Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, he played a comic book mm -hmm. uh, writer, so... Uh -huh. okay. And I look nothing like Paul Giamatti, in case you're wondering. <laughs> Do you ever just sell ideas without a script? Does that happen? Um, I haven't yet, but... People do, I take it. Yeah, people do. A lot of people do. I, uh, a lot of people do. Well, I wouldn't say a lot of people. Ron Bass, I guess, is, a, is the best example of a writer Who is idea. He? Who is Ron Bass? He was once called the king of, uh, the, king of the pitches. And um, mm -hmm. anybody who's listening to this can... Uh, look them, look him up on the internet. But he did like, you know, he was like, uh, I don't want to talk about because I'll look like an idiot. Because, but he did things like, you know, uh, he did things, uh, I don't know if he did, uh, I don't want to say, I think he did Pretty Woman, but I'm not sure. But he, you know, he's a guy that will like take a high concept and then, you know, get writers underneath him to work on it, you know, with him and then Produces mm -hmm. so he's just uh, he was known as king of the pitches. I'm not really sure what he's doing. Our pitch sessions something to look up. What are, what are pitch sessions like? Is it best to go in with one idea or do you go in with many ideas? Well, my problem is is I oh, I I've since learned not to go in with uh, more than three or four, mm -hmm. but I've been known to like be in a pitch meeting and be in for like two hours and you mm -hmm. know and so he's flattering, but by that time their head starts to spin and you mm -hmm. know and the other thing too is is that like. Um, one thing that I always was asked in the very beginning 
of my career here was I would pitch like, you know, five ideas and they'd be like, oh my God, this, I love this idea. I love that idea. I love this idea. Then they go, which one are you most passionate about? Mm -hmm. That was their big question. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I'm kind of passionate about everyone. Like I wouldn't, you know, (laughs) like I wouldn't be pitching an idea Mm -hmm. if I didn't think it would be a great movie or great TV show or, you know, and, uh, but people don't really, you know, understand that. So the question really in that case might not be a question of passion. It's, um, falls on the um, guy who's going to produce it. Which one do you think will make the most money quickest for us? You mean that? That's yeah, what they so would it's ask? all of them are, are passionate. You're passionate about uh-huh. all of them. Which one will make us the most money quickest? Well, you know what's funny is, is I have talked to people about it. You know, people will say like, um, "Oh, you know, I don't want somebody to steal my idea. I got to be careful. I don't want somebody to steal my idea. People are going to steal my idea. I don't want to tell anybody they're going to steal my idea." And I say, you know what? It's so hard. I mean, it's almost impossible statistically, to sell a good idea. Yeah, I mean, you could have the best idea in the world and you sit there and you pitch it to somebody and they go, well, uh, mm-hmm. that won't work because, <laughs> you know, it's Tuesday. You know, and you're like, what? And you're right. saying, so like the idea of selling a good idea is so astronomical that I, I wouldn't even venture to guess what the odds are mm-hmm. that a good idea is actually going to be actively stolen. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, you know, I mean, I guess it's, Possible, but I just uh, you know I'd, you need a, a better mathematician than I to figure out what the odds are. So, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. which isn't to say that people should you know be sitting around the coffee house you know telling their ideas to everybody that walks by. Yeah, I know. don't think you should just spread them over the internet necessarily to everybody. Mm-hmm. But you know, ideas become property, and I think that that's what you're saying. You're saying in a pitch session. Well, first of all, yes. a pitch mm-hmm. is. Normally, I think of it as 25 words or less, something that you can say quickly. That's more of a, that would be almost more of a log line. You know, okay. a pitch, pitch traditionally is like, well, like the log line would be, uh, you know, uh, Martin Lawrence character tracks a witness to a nursing home and then must pose as Big Mama in order to uh, safeguard the witness. So okay. that's a log that's line. A log it pretty much line. tells you what the story is. The pitch would kind of be a little more of like what I was saying, where you know you talk about the scene and the sauna, and you you know you kind of take them through the story over the course of you know ten minutes. In fact, if you want in a future uh, a future uh, episode episode, <laughs> we can you know sit down and we can actually like go through pitches and talk about how pitching goes. Oh, that's, that's a great idea. That's so wonderful. Okay, cool. Because that's its own art. So. Yeah, let's let's wrap it up here, and we'll okay. uh, do that sometime in the future. Mm-hmm. Have hey. a little discussion of pitches with Scott. Yeah, thank you for um, inviting us to do that. I think that's okay, very that's kind. Great. Very well, gracious. it's a good. Uh, you know, anything I can do to help because. Uh, we all start somewhere, even if it's on a train bound from Poughkeepsie. Uh, <laughs> so. That's a pretty funny story. Really. So uh, I guess we'll wrap it up with our film bites. Okay, Joel. Uh, my film bite I've learned from Scott, which involves a train from Poughkeepsie, mm-hmm. Poughkeepsie <laughs> is uh, persistence pays off. And if you can find a way to um, get something to somebody so that they can read it, they might reject it the first time, but keep at it. Keep going. Once you find you know, somebody you can talk to, see if you can um, persuade them a little bit. Sometimes it takes a lot of time and a lot of patience. My um, mine is very much like that. It's almost identical, in fact. <clears throat> but um, I, I think I've been in, inspired in some ways um, by what Scott has said because he has emphasized the value of 
working hard, being diligent, and being persistent. Again, um, this is something we've talked about before. I've given in uh, um, a film bike before about being internships, um, how valuable they can be, and you might not be paid for them. And he had his own internship. He kept writing these things and sending them in. He probably wasn't paid for years, but he mm -hmm. kept on doing it. That personal contact, getting on that train and going down and meeting people, I think is very important too. And people appreciate it. Do people, did people remember that? Oh yeah, for years people were like, you know, when I was at the top of my game, it was funny because at one point I was like the number one comic book writer in America. Wow. And there was not a single person at Marvel who hadn't rejected me at, at one point. <laughs> and we would all laugh about the fact that like every single person in the building at one point had the pleasure of rejecting me before I became, you know. That's so um, great. I would just say one thing. In fact, that's kind of an interesting note because I was thinking as far as a, uh, what, do you, what do we call them? Film bite. Film bite. Is to not take it personally because, you know, you invest yourself in your art or your idea or your movie or your whatever it is, and then you take it out or you submit it. And, you know, invariably it's going to get rejected, you know, you know, it's okay if it gets rejected 99 times so long as the hundredth time somebody accepts it. Mm -hmm. But the trick is just not to take it personally, because I think that when people slow down and stop and or give up or decide to do something else, it's because it's not it's not so much a professional uh, impact on their lives. It's the personal impact. It's like, you know, you write a story and it means the most to you and you send it out and somebody rejects it and, you know, you can't help but feel like they're rejecting you. you right. But, you know, it's really not the case. You just have to, uh, you know, I mean, certainly when I was a number one writer, I could have been, you know, very bitter and, you know, snotty mm -hmm. towards all the people that had rejected me. But, you know, once you get where you are going, it doesn't, you know, matter sometimes the stops that you make along the way. It's just, you know, it's where that's you are beautifully now. Said. So. I like it. Beautifully said. Okay. And with that, folks, that's it. Okay. Film shots today. And Thank look you, forward Scott. to our pitch, uh, our pitch film shot. That's yes, we will advertise. Hey, we haven't even told people how to get in touch with us. Uh, yes, if you have any questions for us or Scott Lobdell, please email us at filmshots at filmshots.net. You can also visit our website if you're not on it right now. There's another thing, too. Um, I, we have just put in place a web radio station. It's on Pirate Radio. You can download the, um, the, the um, what player. they call it, the tuner, the player for that, and play it either on your computer or you can play it right over the screen. Look under Mixed Format, and you'll see www.filmshots.net. That's us, y'all. I think that's pirateradio.com. Pirateradio.com. No, if it's on Pirate Radio, is it rated R? <laughs> 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 All right. Bye. So, uh,